he's carved out a life of meaning and indeed power, even with a stutter. And that's, that's a really important message. The Biden election gives the stuttering community a marvelous opportunity to raise awareness by ourselves. Hey, everyone. Well, welcome to the Stutter Talk podcast at stuttertalk.com. This is episode 698 for Sunday, November 15th, 2020. Our big topic today is why can't you stutter more like President Biden? I'm your host, Peter Wrightus in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I'd like to welcome back to Stutter Talk two beloved guests, Barry Yeoman and Dr. Christopher Constantino. Hey, guys. Hello, Peter. Hi, Peter. We are all people who stutter. I'm thrilled to be back with you both. Barry Yeoman is a journalist with more than four decades of experience who specializes in in in-depth reporting that puts a human face on complex issues. In September, The Nation published Barry's column, Our Stutter, Joe Biden, Braden Harrington, and Me. Recently, I've seen you, Barry, that you've been reporting on the elections for the Washington Post, and that's a big deal. So congratulations, Barry, on your continued success. Thank you. Dr. Chris Constantino is a speech-language pathologist and an assistant professor at Florida State University. Chris co-edited the highly acclaimed book, I can't say that enough, the highly acclaimed book, Stammering Pride and Prejudice. Chris is in high demand in the stuttering world, and I'm thrilled to see you, Chris, as a keynote speaker at many stuttering events. Congratulations, Chris. Thank you, Peter. And I am Peter Reitz, a speech-language pathologist and president of Stutter Talk. And just a reminder to our listeners that Stutter Talk is a 501c3 tax-exempt nonprofit or or organization. Stutter Talk does not endorse politicians or candidates. We are talking today about President-elect Joe Biden because Mr. Biden is a person who stutters and will be the first president who stutters in the White House. So Barry, let's start with you. um, And let's talk about the experience that I think we've all had of being at a stuttering event, like a large self-help conference, and hearing a keynote speaker address a packed room. And the speaker is a person who stutters, um, but they are not noticeably stuttering at all. In other words, they're speaking to a packed room and they're passing as fluent. And in such situations, I have heard a well-intentioned father or mother lean over to their child who stutters and say, one day you can stutter just like this speaker. But the thing is, the speaker isn't noticeably stuttering at all. So I have a two-part question for you, Barry. What is the message the child is receiving? And... Uh, more to current events, what happens when parents, speech language pathologists, and others start saying to people who stutter, one day you can stutter just like President Biden? Or why can't you stutter more like President Biden? So, Peter, I have a three-part answer to your two-part question. All right. And first, I want to say that when a parent says that, it is well-intentioned. And when a speech language pathologist says that, they should lose their license. They're they're very different circumstances. So I want to say two things. Um, First is that when when any authority figure, 
says that it conveys a fundamentally inaccurate, inaccurate understanding of stuttering. Stuttering is highly variable. Some people essentially outgrow their stuttering or it declines as they get older. Some people who severely stutter as kids, severely stutter as adults. And that is as much a function of biology as it is about any intervention we can do. Um, some people can hide their stutters. Some people can't. Some people do word substitution. Some people fundamentally oppose it. So that's the first thing. It's just incorrect. But also it equates life success and fluency. Uh, or worse, it, it equates life success and the ability to hide a stutter. Um, and, and not only is that demeaning to people with more pronounced stutters, but, but, uh, but for a kid who hears that, I fear that it also produces a feedback loop, which is to say they're suddenly pressured to stutter less and they, they stress out over that and they stutter more. And that causes more stress and more disapproval from the parent or the authority figure. And they feel it and they stutter more. And, and so, so I, I think that while parents may be well-intentioned when they say that, the levels of, of counterproductiveness are, are multiple. And I said I had a, a three-part answer. Part three of that is that stuttering self-help groups need to do better at having keynote speakers who really span the spectrum of fluency and disfluency. So if the parent, for example, hears a Joe Biden or somebody else who speaks without a lot of stuttering, but also hears somebody who's been successful in life who has a pronounced stutter, that's different. I think that that sends a signal that you can be successful no matter where you land in terms of level of disfluency as an adult. Before I turn it over to Chris, I, I just want to say back to you, Barry, that as I was listening to you, I was thinking about my decision, like I did today at the top of Stutter Talk, to stut stutter on purpose, because I don't want to be that keynote speaker, that speaker who is passing as fluent or simply you know not stuttering. And then somebody says, why, why, why can't you stutter more like Peter? So I kind of feel like I'm con compensating for this long tradition uh, in the stuttering world of putting forth wonderful people who just don't stutter that much. So I, I feel an uh, uh, obligation to put some good stuttering out in the world. Likewise, Peter, I um, have keynoted twice in the last four years and both times I did a fair amount of voluntary stuttering. And, and, um, at the, at the top of the show, when, 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 you, when, 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 when you greeted us and I had a nice long actual block on Hi Peter, I actually felt kind of vindicated. 
It's a good feeling. Chris, recently, a local dad I know from the swimming pool and I took our girls out for a socially distanced bike ride. When I mentioned Joe Biden stuttering, the dad said to me he had no idea that Biden stutters. And and I saw the dad think about it. And then he said something like, oh, yeah, I, I guess I did hear Biden stutter one time the other night on TV. And my heart dropped a bit, Chris, because I imagine my new friend was hearing uh, pre- President-elect Biden experience what we may call a normal or non-stutter disfluency. And now my new friend is equating normal-sounding speech with stuttering. So my, my question, Chris, is, is there a danger that the public may begin to view stuttering as something that everyone does and that can be easily managed? Take it where you will, Chris. I think that there's certainly the possibility of misunderstanding what stuttering is, what it looks like, and its effects on an individual. But I don't know that that's dangerous because I think it's better than what we had before, which was just silence and ignorance around stuttering. I think most people had sort of stereotyped views of what stuttering was. Um, They didn't really understand the nuance of it, didn't really understand how variable it was, how, um, how, how deep the effects can be on an individual, their ability to conceal it and hide it and sort of live a double life with it. Um, and so insofar as Biden's stuttering, even if it's misunderstood, provides opportunities to talk about stuttering. I think that's that's a positive. It's sort of like the um, adage about press, right? Uh, there is no such thing as bad press, or however it, it goes. That uh, attention, a, a public attention on stuttering, is good. I think um, I see the the misunderstandings probably stemming from Biden has talked fairly publicly about his history with stuttering. He's tweeted about it. He's He's attended or at least sent in videos of himself talking at stuttering events. Um, So there's probably a decent amount of people who realize that Biden stutters or used to at least. And then so you have people thinking about Biden and thinking about stuttering and trying to find it, right? Trying to detect where he might be stuttering and I think probably all people who stutter are are doing that when Biden's talking, right? They 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 want to they want to uh, have that solidarity with him, right? So so we're paying attention to his speech maybe more than more than fluent people would. And as far as I can tell, I think I've I think I've definitely seen Biden like avoiding words and changing words, um, sometimes in sort of awkward ways where he almost seems like he forgot what he was saying or uh, just make some really awkward sentences. Um, But likely fluent people who don't know a lot about stuttering aren't picking up on those instances. They're probably picking up on like what you were describing, uh, maybe just normal disfluencies. Um, Sometimes what we would call linguistic disfluencies where somebody's thinking or um, changed how they were going to say something as as their thoughts processed. And so you might have this 
idea that oh that's all that stuttering is it's just these little these little linguistic hiccups um i think that's that's less of a danger than the second thing that you mentioned about how easily biden seems to speak right and and how successful he's been in his life he's he's president elect um and he i mean the president basically gives speeches for a living right he's he's constantly addressing the public um and biden has very few noticeable moments of stuttering and the idea that perhaps that type of speech is available to everybody just like you and barry were talking talking about i think can put a lot of pressure on especially young kids and it can give especially i think parents false hope right um i think what barry said was spot on stuttering looks different in every single person and it varies it varies within an individual and it varies between individuals and Biden's manifestation of stuttering isn't necessarily somebody else's. Mm -hmm. This is Stutter Talk. I'm Peter Reitzes here with Barry Yeoman and Dr. Christopher Constantino. Guys, I'm an avid listener of podcasts, podcasts on the left, podcasts on the right. And I was recently listening to the Commentary Magazine podcast, which is a conservative and right of center podcast. And the hosts were, they weren't celebrating Biden's victory, but they were celebrating his determination. And the host pointed out that Biden has faced major obstacles in life, such as failed presidential bids in the past and family tragedies. And they were applauding his determination and success. And then last night I was listening to the Economist podcast and I heard an interview with Congressman Jim Clyburn and Congressman Clyburn celebrated Biden from a left-wing perspective. And he pointed out the challenges Biden has faced, including stuttering. And Clyburn was making the case, I think very successfully, that these challenges have made Biden sensitive and empathetic towards others. So let's listen to a short clip of that interview with Jim Clyburn. All of my experiences have not been pleasant, but I have considered all of them to be blessings. Blessings that you live by and you learn from. And Joe Biden has a kind of background, a kind of experiences that I felt makes him one of us, people who have had those kinds of challenges in their lives. And when you overcome those kinds of things, the death of a wife and a child at the age of 29, just after being elected uh, to the United States Senate, suffering through two aneurysms, all of that while still struggling to overcome stuttering uh, as a child. And he still battles stuttering. These kinds of things make you sensitive and empathetic. And that's what I meant when I said, most importantly, Joe knows us. Those of us who had suffered through indignities, and I have seen the indignities that stutterers suffer through. Those who've experienced the loss, of a spouse 
or a child, these kinds of things mold you. And that's what I meant. So Barry, please comment on any aspect of what Jim Clyburn said. And, and I have to ask, are some people now in the public spotlight, like Congressman Jim Clyburn, suggesting or sharing the message that stuttering is a gift? So I've listened to Clyburn's statement a few times now. And first of all, it's just a kind of epic statement. It, it's so it's so sweeping and meaningful. And One of the things that I realized after the first or second listen was that that Clyburn is not saying that Biden has overcome stuttering, meaning he doesn't stutter. And that feels like a step forward. In fact, he he lists a bunch of challenges that 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 Biden overcame. He had the aneurysms. He lost his wife early in his career. Uh, and and when he says that he overcame being a widow, it doesn't mean that his wife came back to life. And likewise, when he says that he struggled to overcome stuttering, it feels to me like like Clyburn is using overcome in the way that I would use overcome, which is to say he's carved out a life of meaning and indeed power, even with a stutter. And that's, that's a really important message. And, and I do think that, that because, because Congressman Clyburn marries Biden's experience to his own and talks about the value of facing down challenges, uh, he does posit stuttering along with other challenges as a gift, as something that strengthens you, that emboldens you, that that gives you gravitas. And I have seen a handful of politicians say things that are along those lines. Um, earlier, the, during, during the last month of the, the the campaign, uh, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris made a made a similar statement on Twitter uh, that that suggested that that Biden's lifelong struggle has made him a stronger person, and it is it's not the complete message. It's not it's not a nuanced message, but I think it's a good message and it's a good start for people who are coming to it relatively new and who have never really thought about stuttering. If their first exposure is a statement like Congressman Clyburn's, that that facing down a disability like stuttering makes you a stronger person, even if you still stutter, that's a mighty good starting point. Yeah, I completely agree. And as I pass it over to Chris, it, it does make me think that the parents, the professionals I work with, the teachers, uh, in some respects, I'd rather them hear Jim Clyburn's short clip than to attend a stut stuttering webinar. <laughs> because what Clyburn said just gave so much value to respecting 
the experience of people who stutter uh, and what we get from it and the struggles we've faced. Chris, please. So some of, some of the stuff I've written about in the past has been somewhat critical of this overcoming narrative. And so first I want to say what, what I think it gets right. And then I want to add a little bit more nuance to it. I think I agree with Barry absolutely that I don't think Clyborne is suggesting that Biden's overcoming of his stuttering means that he's fluent and he talks normally all the time. I think he's, he's talking about overcoming the challenge and allowing stuttering to exist in your life without it necessarily meaning that your, your quality of life is decreased, right? So the suggestion that you can, you can have a good life while stuttering, I think, is a huge positive. And not only that, but the suggestion that stuttering can make you a better person, right? That stuttering does not mean you're broken or defective or deficient, but can actually increase your self-worth, I think is another really, really positive message for people to hear. And it's a message that um, as I'm, I'm fairly active in the neurodiversity world, and I've been talking with um, their diversity and inclusion reps for corporations. And they're talking about how they want to expand their neurodiversity outreach programs to include more disabilities. And, you know, what does stuttering have to offer, right? What, how, how could we market to our HR departments that we want more people who stutter um, as employees? I think something we often talk about is, is the ability for stuttering to generate empathy, right? That um, because it, it puts you in a vulnerable place, I think you become more sensitive to vulnerability in others. And so I, I think Clyburn's framing of this is not only is not only something that you can live a good life with, but that can be an asset is is really, really, really healthy. Um, the The nuance that I would add is that I think the when we talk about overcoming stuttering, even if we're not talking about fluency, I, we're, we're, we're still talking about a end goal, right? Where you're no longer struggling anymore or you're no longer having trouble. Um, and what, what I'm often asking people to think about is even when you're stuttering, even when you're struggling, is stuttering doing anything good for you, right? Is, is stuttering accomplishing anything in this conversation that you're having? Um, even if you're not stuttering how you wanted to, right? Even if it, even if it got away from you, even if, even if it was uh, more struggle than you wanted it to be. Um, and actually, I think 
Clyburn has some of that nuance in it, in his speech, because he does say Biden's still struggling, right? He, he talks about the fact that just that overcoming does not necessarily mean um, the end of struggle. So I, I think, uh, I think there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of subtlety to what he's saying. It just, it just needs some unpacking and, and some expanding on. So I, I, I was also pleased, as I already mentioned, that I was when I was listening to the Commentary Magazine podcast, which is conservative, they were sort of looking back and just in awe, really, like, like how amazing it was what Biden has, his determination. That was the word that really stuck out to me. And, and I'm partial to that word because it's a word that my grandfather is always used with me. He always said, Peter, determination is everything. So it's a word I grew up on. So let's take a moment to each of us share something very big or very small that we've been determined with, with stuttering. And I'll share that I tried to hide my stuttering for 20 years. And so I'm realizing now that I, I, I had to work on overcoming trying not to stutter. So I was really determined to stop passing as fluent. And I spent three and a half years stuttering openly and on purpose. And I, I, that was determination. I did it every single day. And and one of the rules I had was anytime I was at a store, at a deli in New York, at a drugstore or a restaurant, I had to stutter when talking. And that was a hard and fast rule for me. So I, I was really de- determined to overcome my fear of stuttering. And I'm still working on that. Uh, Barry, well, what's something you've been determined with, with your stuttering? So it is notable how a casual comment made long in your history can stick with you, right? And I had a professor in college who I now consider a friend, uh, 38 years later, who was a beloved journalism professor. And at the end of the semester, they gave me an A in the class and told me I would never succeed in journalism if I didn't get my stutter under control. And that was initially really demoralizing. This was somebody who I had a great deal of trust in. And so hearing this from them was, was heartbreaking. And my determination was that I was going to make it as a journalist. And that that wasn't going to be contingent on whether I stuttered or not. I was still chasing fluency at the time, but <laughs> fluency was always a few steps ahead of me. And so I... I I went almost directly from that comment into a journalism career and learned that, in fact, in a lot of ways, stuttering made me a better journalist. It made me a better listener. 
it made me less intimidating. So people were more willing to talk to me and it helped me understand marginalization. So, so I could understand people who, whose voices had been silenced or shunted over to the side and I could help elevate those voices. So Barry, I want to confess something to you. When, when I saw you in the Washington Post and you've been reporting for the Post for I think a few weeks now, which is just tremendous, one of the thoughts I had was Barry must be an amazing journalist because he stutters noticeably and he keeps getting job after job after job. And I don't know if that's a fair way to, way to see it. I mean, do you think your your editors are just really good with stuttering and I'm um, underestimating how far the public has come? Or do you feel that as a person who stutters, you have to be better than everybody else? Because I'm still of that opinion. And I don't know if that's right, but I still think I have to try harder than everybody else because of stuttering. I I, th- I think I definitely have to try harder because of stuttering. Uh, um, and I'm not sure that that's really because an editor expects me to. I I don't know how much it's internal. Uh, certainly, we've heard that from other groups. We've heard that from folks with other disabilities. We've heard that from women. We've heard that from from black people and other people of color. That that the bar is the bar is higher for people who are not cisgender, able-bodied white men, straight white men. And so whether whether the people who are hiring me are actually holding that bar uh, with their own hands or whether it is societally imposed or whether it's completely in my head, and I think it's probably a combination of the second and third, uh, I am definitely overperforming compared to a lot of journalists. Uh, I hear back from fact checkers when I write magazine stories saying, nobody submits a story with 200 footnotes to help us fact check the story. Nobody interviews 48 people for a story. And, And I know it's overcompensation, but I think it also makes me a better journalist. That said... I think that my editors really don't care if I stutter or not. I think that I have found some really good editors and and now also I'm teaching. And so I found some great department heads who know that I'm good at what I do and they like me. And I don't think many of them are hiring me because I stutter, but I think, I think that it is not a big factor to them. I I, I, I should tell you because it it happened so soon after, um, after that comment from the professor that I graduated a year later and I got a job at a newspaper in Louisiana. And years later, I was talking to the editor who hired me And he said that when he got my job application and he looked at my newspaper clips and he liked my work, he knew he wanted to interview me. And when he called me and I stuttered, that made him want to hire me more because uh, 
And again, it comes back to the word that we have mixed feelings about. Um, he saw how much I overcame to do that kind of journalism. And that to him indicated how much of a lion I was uh, as a journalist. God, it's so fascinating. I I listen to public radio occasionally, and I sometimes it, it seems that public radio has a number of people who speak with lists or other noticeable speech differences. And I sometimes wonder if there's an editor at public radio who sees something in a person who speaks a little bit differently. Uh, so it's interesting what you just said. Uh, and I, I also want to say that I, because of Stutter Talk, I do hear and I've had heard from a few aspiring journalists who can't get a job in journalism, and they're not sure if it's because they stutter. Um, and they won't say it to me, but I'm sure they're wondering or if they're just not good. Um, but that's got to be a tough spot, too, to apply for 28, 29 jobs in journalism as a person who stutters and not get any of them and not knowing, is it my stuttering? Or is it my work? Or is it the job market? A lot of challenges out there. Yeah. I, 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 I have no doubt that there are many editors who would not hire someone who stutters because of the stutter. Uh, and because I am teaching undergraduates, I can tell you that no one's getting jobs in journalism right now. Hmm. Important to note that. This is Stutter Talk on Peter Reitz here with Barry Yeoman and Christopher Constantino. Chris, will you share with us a time you have been determined with your stuttering? Yeah, I, I immediately thought of my first semester in graduate school, um, where I was going to school to be a speech language pathologist. And um, I was in a clinical placement at a local hospital. And the, my primary role was to do swallowing evaluations with, with uh, newly admitted patients. So for those of you unfamiliar with how this works in a hospital, if, if a patient has had a stroke or a head injury, it's not always clear whether they can take food safely. So speech language pathologists will go and do a swallowing evaluation at their bedside to make sure that um, they can eat without uh, choking or aspirating the food into their lungs. And at this time, I, I was struggling very, very much with my speech. I had these really long, tense, hard blocks. I couldn't make eye contact while I was talking, and I would... I would have to enter into the room and, and go approach this person who, who was usually fairly disoriented, just had a stroke uh, or was in a car accident. They had a tra traumatic brain injury and try to introduce myself and tell them that I'd be feeding them and, you know, giving pretty detailed instructions on how I wanted them to eat. And so I, I'd, I'd walk to their bedside and just block and block and block. Uh, uh, hello, 
My name is Chris, right? And just not looking at them, looking up at the ceiling, just on and on and on. And they they couldn't understand me. Right? I I was unable to communicate with them in a in a meaningful way a lot of the time. And my supervisor who um, I will name because he was very helpful for me at that point in my life. Uh, Dr. Jim Coyle at University of Pittsburgh told he pulled me aside and he said, Chris, I don't know anything about stuttering, but it seems like you're having a really hard time here. And I said, yeah, I'm having a really hard time here. And he asked me if I could do anything about it, you know, if, if like what we could do to make this easier. And I told him I had no idea, right? This was just how I talked. This is how I've always talked. Um, I don't know any way to talk differently. I, I don't really know uh, what to do in this situation. And he told me, you know, I think it would make it easier for the patients if you made eye contact with them. And if you could just look at them, I think it's really confusing when you're looking up at the ceiling. And he asked me if I could do that. And I said, I think I can work on that. Yeah. And I spent the rest of that semester just trying to make eye contact with people I was talking to. And it was really hard. And it sounds so trite and so simple. Right. But it was hard. It was really, really hard. Um, but by the end of the semester, I could make eye contact with anybody I was talking to. And that felt like a win. Right. That that felt like one of the hardest things I had ever accomplished in my life. And uh, I think that's that's my example of determination. I love it. Uh, and I hope you don't mind that I ask you a follow up question on that. Um, mm -hmm. so when I invite you and Barry back on air, one of the hats you guys wear, uh, that you're disability rights activists, which is so important. And I'm wondering, do you think some of your fellow disability rights activists would have taken such advice differently from a well-meaning supervisor or professor? So could somebody else in your shoes feel it's too much pressure to suggest eye contact or who are you to suggest like this is I'm fine the way I am or do you know what I'm getting at I do and I think especially because like if you do any cross disability work I eye contact often comes up in autism right that I was that, that's exactly what I was thinking yeah yeah that um even though People without autism often feel more comfortable making eye contact. People on the spectrum often feel less comfortable. And so I think people with autism have rightly argued that why should I have to sacrifice my comfort for your comfort? Um, and I think, I think the reason why I took that advice unproblematically was that I wanted to make eye contact, right? This, this, this wasn't a, like, eye contact makes me uncomfortable. It was, it was that I'm, 
I'm ashamed of how I'm speaking and I can't bring myself to look you in the face. And I didn't, I, I wanted to make eye contact. So I think I, I heard what he was saying and that aligned with the goal I had already had for myself. Right. Um, now would every stutterer want that goal? Probably not. Right. Some people might, uh, not want to make eye contact because it makes them uncomfortable or what have you. Um, and I think the way it was presented was, was, is this something that might help you? Right. Like if it's, it seems like it would help the patients, would, would that be something that would help you? And I never felt forced into it. Right. I never felt like my grade depended on it or I was going to fail my practicum if I didn't do this. It was more like something that if I thought it would be helpful, I could work on. Um, given that it was approached in a very person-centered manner, like it was really, it was a collaborative discussion. Um, I, I would imagine it wouldn't have been, even if that wasn't somebody's goal, I would imagine it wouldn't have been taken the wrong way. Um, if my supervisor had said, you have to make eye contact, I think, I think even though I wanted to make eye contact, I, I would have been upset with that, right? Because it would have felt like a demand that wasn't placed on a fluent speaker. Hmm. I, I want to point out two things here. One, when you have a swallowing practicum, um, those are re really sought after. They're hard to get in speech language pathology. So somebody or some committee at your university really thought highly of you because those are the practicum that so many people want to get. I also want to point out how lovely it is it is to hear that it sounds like your stuttering was getting in the way for you and for the client, that you had a supervisor who saw that and you guys engaged in a productive conversation with trust and respect. And so often that's not the case. At Stutter Talk, I mean, I when I was in grad school, I received a letter from my university saying say, saying I had to be one hundred percent free of stuttering. You know, I hear from people who stutter in different types of programs, such as speech language pathology, who still get such letters or comments. I I, I, I spoke on the f phone with a uh, French. Uh, Dutterer earlier in the week, and he said in France they don't even allow stutterers to become speech pathologists unless they're fluent. Mm. I hear those things all the time, Barry. Um, I just love that story. That's all. <laughs> okay, this is Stutter Talk. I'm Peter Reitzes here with Barry Yeoman and Doctor Christopher Constantino. Last question, what do we, the stuttering community, and what do we, Peter, Barry, and Chris, want of a Biden administration when it comes to stuttering? Do we have an ask? Barry, let's start with you. Honestly, Peter, I don't. I, I think that the Biden election gives the stuttering community a marvelous opportunity to raise awareness by ourselves. Um, we have a country that is more 
cognizant of stuttering right now than ever before because of Biden's election and because of Braden Harrington at the Democratic National Convention and because of some of of President Trump's apparent efforts to trip up Biden, especially during the first debate and some of the conversation uh, among other uh, people in, in the Trump camp about that, that's, that's made the news. So, so I think that, 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 that we should seize on this from a, a self-help perspective and, and use this moment in the news to elevate the public conversation. Um, I don't think that we need to ask Biden uh, or his administration to, to do anything in particular. And as I pass this over to Chris, I, I just want to say that uh, the president has a busy job, but I can dream. And I, I do have an ask, Mr. President-elect, if you're listening, I, I would love to hear you one time use some voluntary stuttering and explain why it's important to do so. Um, and I know you're very busy, but maybe 10 seconds on that. Uh, and that would be my dream. Christopher Constantino, do you have an ask or a desire when it comes to the Biden administration and stuttering? That was actually going to be my ask, right? Now that he's won, now that I feel like he's he's over the over the the brunt of the fighting and the battle, like would he be willing to show us more stuttering? Would he be willing to Put a little bit in his speeches and his talks. Would he? Would he be willing to come on Stutter Talk and and show some voluntary stuttering? That would that would be pretty neat. Yes, that would be amazing. And I have invited Senator Biden, then Vice President Biden, and President Elect Biden on Stutter Talk, and he's one of the few people who has not accepted. But I understand why. He's a he's a very busy man. But I have managed to get on the Biden mailing list multiple times. <laughs> be because of that. Gentlemen, I want to thank Barry Yeoman and Christopher Constantino for coming back on Stutter Talk. Thank you, Peter. Yeah. Th- thanks for having us, Peter. I enjoyed this. Mm-hmm.